If you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them, please, to the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus, specifically chapter 17. As we continue in a sermon series entitled Circles of Influence, as I've told you before, there is no self-made men, there's no self-made women, there's nobody who is self-made in and of themselves. Whatever you and I will become, whatever you and I will have, whatever you and I will do, it will be because people influenced and impacted our life in those directions. We're looking at the life of Moses, one of the greatest men of faith found in the Bible. And we're looking at people who, and Moses' circle, influenced and impacted his life to make him who he was and what he would have and what he would do. So far we've seen that first and foremost, the fingerprints of God were on the life of Moses. And then we saw his parents played a very key role in who he would become. And then last week we saw his sister Miriam, though she had problems as we all do, though she had flaws and faults like we all do, she influenced her brother as well. And tonight we're going to see that Moses' brother Aaron also had influence over him as well. Exodus chapter 17, let's begin reading with verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. Yet when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat therein. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And Moses' hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The story is pretty simple under the leadership of Moses, who's the commander-in-chief of the people of Israel. The Israelites are marching toward their goal, which is Mount Sinai. Suddenly, word comes to Moses, who is up front leading the people, that the Amaleks have attacked from the back, from the rear. The Amalekites are descendants of Esau. They're wild, they're nomadic, they're desert warriors known for their savageness. And they have sneak attacked the Israelites. They've come from behind. And the Bible tells us they brutally began to slaughter the innocents, the defenseless, the weak who typically made up the rear and the flanks of a marching people. In the face of this savage attack, 
Moses turns to his general, Joshua. He says, gather the troops and take them to confront the Amalekites. Now, when we say the army of Israel, at this point in their history, that army is not much. They're just a fledging bunch of soldiers in training. One day they would become an elite fighting force, but they're not that right now. But nevertheless, Joshua takes the soldiers that he has, he goes to the rear as Moses is instructed to take on the threat. Moses takes Aaron, his brother, in her a servant. And they go to a high hilltop that Moses may watch the battle take place, the battle unfold, if you will. Now, this battle is not going to be won by the Israelites. This battle is not going to be won by Joshua and the soldiers. This battle is going to be won by God. God is the defender of his nation. God's the defender of his people. And he, Moses soon learns that as he stands on the hilltop and watches the battle unfold and commence, that if Moses raises his hands in prayer and in praise, the Israelites begin to win. When the hands of Moses begin to lower and drop, when the praise and the prayer begins to decline, if you will, the Amalekites begin to win. Well, the battle is not just for a few minutes. It's, it's not just for a few hours. This battle is going on for a long time. And Moses cannot hold his hands up forever. And so Aaron and her who are with him sit him down on a seat of stone. And Aaron takes one hand of Moses and holds it up for him. And Hur goes to the other side and he takes the other hand of Moses and he holds it up for him. And with their help, the Israelites defeat the Amalekites. A smashing victory for the fledging army of Israel as they continue their march to Sinai. Now that's the story. Historical story irrefutable story, factual story, taken from the account that we read and other scriptures that support that. But tonight what I want us to do is focus on Aaron. Aaron was one of the two that was with Moses who helped hold his hands up that day. Moses was influenced by many people, and Aaron is one of them. And I want us to quickly learn three things about this man by the name of Aaron, the brother of Moses. The first thing I want us to see is this. Aaron carried Moses. Aaron carried Moses. If you would, think with me just a moment. When God chose Moses, 
to be his representative to go to Pharaoh and to go to Egypt and demand the release of his people. When God chose Moses to do that, Moses said, yes, sir, ready to go. Not quite. Moses began to make excuses why he was not the man to do this task. And one of the excuses he rendered among many to God was he had a problem with his speech. He had a problem getting words out of his mouth. He had a tendency to put his foot in his mouth. He had a tendency to stutter, to stammer, to mumble, to bumble. He wasn't a smooth talker. Send somebody else. Well, Moses' excuses angered God. When God calls a man to serve, God will equip and enable that man to serve. But Moses had forgotten that, and Moses is making excuse after excuse why he can't go. So the Lord says to Moses, a concession, if you will. You will still go, but I will send with you your brother Aaron. I will allow your older brother to go with you. He is confident. He is composed. He's a good orator. He's a good speaker. He forms his words well. He makes his sentences well. I will let him go with you, and he will be your mouthpiece. Moses, you will tell Aaron in private what you want him to say, and Aaron will speak in public what you have told him. And so Aaron becomes the spokesman. He becomes the front man, if you will for the ministry that God has given Moses. And this will continue till they reach Mount Sinai and things will change, which we'll talk about in a moment. The presence of Aaron gives comfort, gives encouragement, and gives confidence to Moses that he can do the work of God. Let me say that again. The presence of Aaron gives confidence to Moses, gives composure to Moses, gives Moses what he needs to be able to do the work that God has called him to. I don't know what picture you have of Moses in your mind. If I was to ask you to give me a picture of Moses, most of you would say he looks like Charles Heston. Good-looking guy with big muscles, well-composed, well-confident, certain of himself, good speaker, handles himself well under any situation or circumstance. You would get that from Hollywood. But the Bible doesn't give us that exact picture of Moses. Moses in the Bible is pictured as a man who was timid. He had his moments where he stepped out courageously in bravery, but he was a timid man by and large. 
He was a meek man. He didn't have a lot of confidence in himself. And that confidence got even worse. Lack of confidence got even worse as he left Egypt and went to the backside of the desert and was away from people for many years before God's calling of him. If I would have been God, I would have chose Aaron. And so would have you. After all, if Aaron's going to have to be the spokesman, why don't Aaron just do it? But God chose Moses. He brought Aaron to be his partner. I wonder why. I wonder if God wasn't telling you and I something that God can use you and I. Look up here. God can use you. God can use you. God can use me. We don't have to be the most confident people. We don't have to be the most composed people. We don't have to be the most cool people. We don't have to be the most collected people. We don't have to be the people that have it all together. We don't have to be the best spoken people. We don't have to be the most talented people. In fact, most of the time, God doesn't choose those kind of people. He chooses what we would consider the run of the litter. Because he can use the run of the litter to do his work and he gets the glory. And God can use you and me. Many of us shy away from serving because we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I'm not much. And you and I aren't much, but God is. And God chose Moses because God can use anybody. It's interesting that Aaron was also a part of the calling. Aaron, as I said, would carry Moses. How would he carry Moses? He would carry Moses with encouragement and with comfort. He would be one of those behind-the-scenes supporters, though he would be the upfront spokesman. Behind every great man of God, there is a great company behind him who operate in the shadows for the most part, who operate behind the curtain of the platform. Men and women who are dedicated to the servant that God has called to be the face of the ministry. And these people pray for that man or that woman. They send notes of encourage to that man or that woman. They sing kind words to that man or that woman. They hug that person's neck. They help them and support them however they can. They do nice things for them. They're the unsung heroes of those who are in God's Hall of Fame. The great apostle Paul had a Barnabas, did he not? You don't hear a lot about Barnabas, but Barnabas made Paul in those early years. Everybody knows the greatness of Dr. Billy Graham. Most of us don't know that he had two brothers behind him in those early years that were such an immense help to him, Grady and T.W. Wilson. And then there was a singer by the name of Bev Shea and an orchestra and choir leader by the name of Cliff Barrow. There was a CEO by the name of John Quartz. 
These men stood in the shadows, but these men propelled Dr. Graham. Even the Lord Jesus had Mary and Martha and Lazarus, did he not? He loved to go to their house because they were a comfort and they were encouragement to him. And Aaron was that to Moses. And on behalf of the staff, I thank you for being that to us. I might be the face of this ministry. The staff might be up front with me. But we're very much aware of the fact that you're behind us. And whatever we receive in the way of acclaim or awards down here or up there, rest assured you're part of it. Because we can't do what we do without your prayers, without your kind words, without your good things you do for us. And I know you do, and we know you do. Thank you. Moses had Aaron. Aaron carried Moses. But not only did Aaron carry Moses in the early years of Moses' ministry, but Aaron would carry the nation of Israel one day. In Exodus chapter 28, when they got to Sinai, Moses went and received the Ten Commandments. And in that process of the Ten Commandments and the establishment of the priesthood and the establishment of sacrifices and a worship system, Aaron was chosen by God to become the high priest of Israel. This one who had carried his brother would now be asked to carry a nation. This one who had lifted up his brother would now be asked of God to lift up a nation. He would now be responsible for dealing with the nation's sin as a whole and the people's sin of that nation as a whole. The high priest was a very important position, particularly one day of the year called the Day of Atonement. Atonement. It was during this day of the year that a sacrifice was made for the sins of the nation collectively. That a sacrifice was made for the sins of the people as a whole. Aaron did this for the nation and for the people. The procedure was he would sacrifice a bull, shed the blood of a bull for himself and his family's sins. Then he would sacrifice a goat for the sins of the nation and the sins of the people. He then would take the shed blood of the bull, the shed blood of the goat, into a place called the Holy of Holies. It was only accessible one day a year. And only the high priest could enter in. And if he wasn't right with God when he entered the Holy of Holies, he would be struck dead. That's why they put bells on his gown 
so they could hear if he was moving once he got inside because they couldn't see him. That's why they tied a rope to him. So if the bells didn't ring, they knew that God struck him dead and they had to get him out, so they would pull him out with the rope. A tremendous responsibility. And Aaron would take the shed blood of the bull, the shed blood of the goat. He would go into the Holy of Holies and there he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices on the mercy seat. And in doing so, God would forgive the nation. God would forgive the people for their sins for that year. And then he would come back out and he would take some of the blood from the bull, some of the blood from the goat, and he would approach a goat that was tied to the altar where the sacrifices were conducted. And he would take his hands covered in that blood and he would wipe it on the goat that was tied to the altar. This goat had a name, the scapegoat. And having done that, he would untie the goat from the altar and drive the goat into the wilderness, away from the camp, never to come back. When the blood was put on the mercy seat, the sins of a nation and people were forgiven. When the blood was put on the scapegoat and he was driven away, the sins of a nation and people were forgotten. Don't you like that? Sin forgiven, sin forgotten forevermore. You say, Pastor Aaron was a type of Christ. And you're absolutely right. Because without his ministry, the sin of the nation and the sin of the people could not be forgiven, could not be forgotten. And the seriousness of this was ever before Aaron because he wore a breastplate, a priestly breastplate that had on it 12 stones. And these stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. A constant reminder to him that the fate of a nation and the fate of a people was in his hands. He better conduct God's worship and God's sacrifices correctly or a nation and people could perish. Aaron carried Moses. He was a comfort and an encouragement to his brother in the early years of ministry. On his back and in his heart, he carried a nation and a people, making sure they were right with God each and every year. I was thinking about the reminder that he had on his chest with those 12 stones that reminded him of the nation of Israel and the responsibility he had to the 12 tribes of a story I heard about a man by the name of Emil Mettler. You've heard of him, right? 
You can look up. It's okay if you've never heard of him. He was a man who operated a restaurant many years ago in London, England. And he had a policy that whenever a man of God came into that restaurant, that man of God would never pay for a meal. Every meal provided for a servant of God was on the house, no payment accepted. Well, one day somebody asked him why. Why did he feel a need to do that? Because hundreds if not thousands of dollars was probably lost with that policy. And he took the person who asked the question to his cash register. He hit the button, the cash register opened up, and he took out of that cash register a spike. He said, every time I look at this spike, I think of what Jesus Christ did for me and how much I owe the Savior. This is my way of saying thank you and trying to pay him back. This is my way of saying thank you to him and trying in some way just to pay him back. Aaron carried Moses. Aaron carried a nation. And he never forgot the responsibility that was on his chest and on his shoulders. But also there came a day in closing when Aaron would be carried by God. Think about that. The man who carried his brother, the man who carried a nation and a people, there would come a time in his life when God would carry him. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses has gone to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. Moses stays gone a little longer than people thought or anticipated. And without Moses' presence there, the people get a little anxious. They get a little worried. They get a little stressful. They get a little frightened. So much that they want a God that they now can see. Moses led them to worship an invisible God, but they can't see this God. And now with Moses not there, that God may not care about them anymore. So they now want a God that they can see, a God that they can touch, a God that they can embrace. And so the people come to Aaron and they demand of him, a new God. They demand of him a golden calf. They provide him the gold and the silver that he will need to construct this calf. They provide for him the things that he will need to build an altar where this golden calf will now be worshipped in place of the living God. And Aaron agrees to their demands, builds the golden calf, and worship begins. 
Aaron displays here a weakness and a wickedness that I guess might surprise us, but it shouldn't. Because fear can make cowards of us all. Say, Pastor, what do you say? Aaron was basically a good man. He loved God. He wanted to do right. But he had a crisis on his hands and he panicked. And in that panic, he became afraid. If I don't do something, these people are going to revolt against me. They're going to go back to Egypt. What's Moses going to say when he comes back off the mountain and everybody's gone? I got to do something. I got to buy some time. I got to pacify these people. I got to compromise with them. It's not what I want to do, but it's what I got to do. And he builds the calf, and the worship begins. Of course, we know Moses will come back off the mountain, and Moses will have fire in his belly when he sees what's taking place. And he will put a stop to it. He'll give the people a chance to confess their sin and repent, and those who don't will be put to death. And the Bible says 3,000 of them who failed to repent died that day. Aaron, who carried his brother, who carried a nation, now has fallen on his face. And God will now carry him. And not just carry him, ladies and gentlemen, God will cover his sin and forgive and forget it. Just like Miriam got a second chance, Aaron will get one. And God will use him again, and he will never forget that experience. In closing, our sin does affect other people, does it not? No man sins as an island. When Aaron made that decision to compromise and to pacify the people so there wouldn't be a revolt, there wouldn't be a return to Egypt. When he made that decision, he did not make that decision in a vacuum. He didn't make that decision on an island all by himself where there would be no consequences except to him. When he made that decision, it would affect an entire people and nation. Sin always does that. When you choose to sin, it will affect you, yes, but it will affect your home, it will affect your church, it will affect this nation. Sometimes it will affect earthly, sometimes it will affect eternally. Our sin affects others. But our sin can be forgiven, can it not? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all iniquity. What sin will he forgive? All sin. How many times will he forgive it? One million? Three hundred nineteen thousand times. And when you run out of that, he'll give you more. His grace and the ocean of grace is inexhaustible. 
His mercy from the mountain of mercy is inexhaustible. You can dip your cup and you can fill your bucket with it every day. And if you confess your sin every day, He will forgive you of your sin every day. Our sin can be learned from, though, can it? God doesn't want us to live in our sin, but He wants us to learn from it. Aaron would never make that mistake again. For the rest of the days of his life, he would be faithful. Faithful to his brother, faithful to the nation, faithful to the people that he was called to serve. Maybe you have fallen down and maybe you think that God can't forgive you. He can forgive you. Maybe you think God can't use you anymore. God can use you again. Maybe you think that you've blown it. No, God's the God of a second chance. Pick yourself up and walk on in His grace and mercy. Learn from what's happened and don't repeat it. God can still use you and God can still bless you. Aaron, what a man he was completely. He carried his brother, he carried a nation, he carried a people. And thank God one day God carried him. But isn't that the story of us all? Heads bowed and eyes closed. What Miles Road needs is some errands. Some men and women who are willing to be given, who are willing to encourage and to comfort the call servants of God in this ministry. Men and women who will pray for this pastor and staff. Men and women who will send cards and notes. Men and women who will shake hands and hug necks. Men and women who will speak kindnesses and do nice things. Men and women who will help and support. How great is your pastor? As great as you will make him. How great is your staff, how great you will make them. We stand on your shoulders. And the more shoulders we can stand on, the taller we will be. Tonight I ask of you, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, this is one of the best churches in America, encouraging. I'm asking you, stand with us as we seek to represent you to a lost and dying world. Be our errands that God can bless us and God can bless you.
there was ever a time that our nation needs errands, it's now. Men and women who will take seriously our responsibility as Christian citizens as we see what's happening in our nation, the rapid demise of the last superpower nation in this world. And unless we change, our children will not know what that means, if there be an America at all. Would you be an errand for this pastor and staff? Would you be an errand for our nation? And it's okay if you're not perfect. Our God is a God of grace and mercy. And should you fall, if you will confess and repent of your sin, He will pick you up and use you again for His honor and glory. Tonight, the invitation is very simple. Can we as a staff, can I as a pastor count on you? Can we as Americans count on you? Can we? Heavenly Father, I pray that we would raise up a new generation of errands to go with the past generation of errands. And I pray, Lord, as we work with them and they work with us, your perfect will will be fulfilled. Lord, I pray for this nation. May we take seriously the responsibility that's been placed in our heart and on our shoulders concerning this country and the plight that it's in. I pray that in the name of Jesus. As Miss Barbara plays...